Welcome to the Most Accurate Podcast, brought to you by 444.com. I am your host, Greg Smith, and the music on today's podcast is a track called Bear Trap by the John Spencer Blues Explosion off their 2012 album Meat and Bone, or Meat Plus Bone. It's one of those two. To hear the full song, plus all the other music I use on my episodes, check out the link in the show notes to the TMAP B-Sides playlist on Spotify. The great Vlad Settlers on the program today to help me recap week five and look ahead to the waiver wire for week six. And rather than break the show up into two separate episodes, as I've been doing in previous weeks, the new plan is to tighten them up into a single installment each week. As you might have guessed, I was already recording these separated shows back-to-back with each guest, and rather than make you all download two different shows, I figured it made more sense to consolidate and give you everything all at once. This way, you get the waiver recommendations ahead of Tuesday if you want them sooner, and I'm getting off a little easier in terms of producing two separate shows. Anyway, before I bring Vlad in, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by Fantasy Draft, Daily Fantasy's only rake-free site. They're running the largest rake-free contests available on each and every slate. Sign up at FantasyDraft.com with promo code 444, and you'll get a free 7-day trial membership. Remember, Fantasy Draft is the only DFS site where 100% of entry fees are paid to contest winners. So get yourself signed up with the promo code 444 at FantasyDraft.com today and say goodbye to the rake. And with that all out of the way, I'd like to welcome in Vlad Sedler of Elite Fantasy and Fantasy Guru at RotoGut on Twitter. Vlad, great to have you on the show, man. How you doing? I'm doing good, Greg. Thanks for having me uh, over here on this fine Monday. Yeah, and uh, we're recording this Monday morning, or I guess Monday afternoon, depending upon which time zone you swear allegiance to. Uh, We're going to talk week five, and then we're going to get into the week six waiver wire. It seems like this this week was all about Christian McCaffrey, right? He had that huge game. But one thing that stood out to me from that game was how he was shut down late for cramps and now has a questionable tag heading into next week. I don't really feel like cramps or something that should make somebody questionable for the following week and I feel like we're starting to see this sort of trend more and more often where you know two weeks ago it was LaShawn McCoy stops running for the Chiefs in in a blowout right and then last week it was Marlon Mack and this week it's Christian McCaffrey do you think this is the new way for NFL teams to kind of game the injury designation system am I too crazy do I have my tinfoil on tinfoil hat on a little too tight no, I mean, I, th- I think it does make sense. And uh, especially for somebody like McCaffrey going back to the be- beginning of last season, I mean, as far as uh, running backs are concerned, nobody has had a greater workload. And, uh, you know, clearly McCaffrey seems uh, sort of a superhuman, uh, if you will. But, uh, you know, second half of uh, last game, we saw that he is, in fact, human. And, and it kind of makes sense with uh, the Panthers having a bye week in, in week seven. Uh, they're going to, uh, to Tampa uh, this upcoming week. So, um, we'll see. I mean, you know, putting the questionable tag on him kind of makes sense. Um, you know, no one, none of us really know yet uh, quite how how bad or how uh, how good it is. But I guess we'll see. It does make sense. But I mean, is this going to scare you off from McCaffrey at all, either in DFS or in your seasonal leagues? Because I look at this happening, I think it just looks like they wanted to rest him for the end of the game. Like, I'm not worried about this at all. Are you concerned? Not really. Uh, I mean, I think uh, unless he comes in as doubtful um, and, you know, I mean, you want to see him practice on Friday, but uh, obviously might t- temper things a little bit in DFS where he otherwise would be, you know, probably incredibly high owned. But, you know, in season long, you just kind of uh, if you own him, uh, you, you used a top three pick on him. You you absolutely pray that he plays because you also know that you need a, a fill in for him in week seven. So what stood out most to you in week five? You know what? A lot of it is the the continuation of some of these young receivers who have broken out, and uh, unfortunately, um, you know, I have luckily hit on a lot of things. But um, as is the case, you know, we we, we all have our misses. Uh, two of them are 
receivers that are having basically wide receiver one year so far. Uh, DJ Shark for mm. the, uh, the Jaguars, the, w, uh, the wide receiver five on the year, and Cortland Sutton now a couple of big games in a row. Um, you know, coming out as the the premier guy there in in, in Denver's offense. I mean, two legit guys, number ones, guys that really weren't on my radar. With Sutton, I'm I'm kind of impressed with this uh, sort of rebirth of Flacco. I, I think everybody we we knew was you know basically poo pooing um, the selection of him there and. Um, that offense is running at a, you know, t- or, or passing at a top five pace. And, and the offense looks pretty solid in general with Philip Lindsay and also um, impressed with those two so far. Yeah, I was definitely fading Sutton and Emmanuel Sanders and the entire Denver Broncos offense because they signed Joe Flacco to be their starter. He just hadn't looked good for the previous however many seasons. And I don't know if I fully trust what we've seen so far this year. It it seems like there, there could be some amount of circumstance in here relative to the schedule and you're right. Like Sutton's been very impressive. Shark has also been very impressive. With Shark, I was a little more optimistic coming into the season because we really didn't know what that receiving core was going to look like with Nick Foles and, and now, of course, Gardner Minshew at the helm. We couldn't just necessarily pencil in Marquise Lee and D.D. Westbrook as the or as the wide receiver one and two just because they had done it the previous season. It's a new regime there. It's a new setup. So it makes sense that maybe Shark is is kind of usurping those guys, breaking out a little bit. He's a little bit younger. Uh, he was, you know, as, as flashy of a prospect as D.D. Westbrook was in his own right. But I think in both these cases, if we go back to the preseason, what we could have said to ourselves was, look, these guys have the chance to be the number one on their teams, and we should be valuing them as such. Now, it's hard to do that because you're doing that with every team, right? Yeah, and also we, you know, we, we have no idea – what DJ Shark would be doing now if uh, if it was Nick Foles there for whatever reason? Sure, him and Minshew have that that special connection. I mean, we obviously all know that how talented Shark is, and uh, I can tell you one thing: he he most likely, uh, not even most likely, would not be uh, the wide receiver five if uh, Foles had not gotten hurt. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I'm curious to see how it goes moving forward, just because this is one of those cases where you can look at the stats these guys are putting up, and you can just start to wave those big red regression flags, right? And at what point are these guys going to stop catching so many touchdowns? What At what point are they going to start getting more defensive attention? And it's really hard to forecast that sort of stuff, isn't it? Indeed, indeed. And, and obviously these are two uh, pass offenses we really weren't expecting. And so, uh, you know, people that, um, you know, got these guys. I mean, Sutton was a, was a top 100 pick, but I think in... In, um, in drafts this summer, I think he was uh, one of those unsexy picks, you know, basically because of the situation. So, you know, like a fallback option for people as a wide receiver three. Uh, Shark completely, um, you know, for the most part off the radar. I think obviously there were some sharp folks that were, um, you know, that were picking him up. But um, Jacksonville, for example, and, until their bye week have a very pretty schedule, um, you know, very, um, you know, potential for for some for some good games. I mean, they get New Orleans, they get at Cincinnati, the Jets and Houston. And these are all secondaries that we've seen get blasted uh, this season. So um, de- definitely don't mind Shark going forward. So spinning this to Minshew a little bit, do you think that he should lose his job once Foles comes back? Because Minshew is making a case to, to hold that gig. Yes. Um, uh, you know, they, they, they spent the money on Foles. So, you know, unfortunately, at the end of the day, it's not our decision. But I think I would probably leave Minshew in there. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, he just he passes the eye test. Um, you know, I mean, not just like the swagger and the popularity. I mean, on the field, he's backing it up. Uh, he's looking good. And, you know, uh, Jacksonville not winning that game 
yesterday. I mean, a lot of it had to do with their defense making um, a lot of mistakes. So um, he's been um, he's been holding it down. He's been doing well. Um, you know, a super flex gem for many. Uh, and so I would probably leave Minshew in there until uh, he breaks. Yeah, he's got to start getting some wins if he wants to hold on to that job. And I know that that's not all him. Like you said, the defense hasn't necessarily been stellar. But if he can string together some wins, there is some precedent for this sort of you know takeover by an unknown quarterback. I mean, go all the way back to Tom Brady, go to Russell Wilson. Uh, there's a blueprint for this if the Jaguars are willing to accept it and implement it. Uh, but let's talk about some of the injuries that came out of Week 5. And I want to start with Marquise Brown, who injured his ankle against the Steelers. How much does this impact Lamar Jackson's fantasy value for you? Because Jackson did not have a very good game. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, he is their, their deep threat. He's the guy that um, Lamar Jackson has been locked in on. Um, but, you know, we haven't quite seen what we saw in that um, Week 1 game. I mean, obviously, they had... Um, it, it was the dream matchup and, and everything went right. And um, so, you know, obviously him being out hurts that offense a little bit. But I'd love to see somebody like a Miles Boykin step up. I mean, he was um, essentially their, um, you know, quote unquote, MVP of camp. And everybody was very impressed with him. Uh, different style than Marquise Brown. But I think someone like him could step up. Um, you know, Willie Sneed for no matter how boring he is, is, you know, he's a slot receiver that, that gets it done. Um, so obviously this this hurts and, and removes that sort of uh, deep element from the team. But either way, I mean, this is a grinding team, nevertheless, with uh, with Ingram and Gus the Bus and Lamar, you know, running the ball themselves. So um, I don't think it's going to be that much of a difference for them. So how about Wayne Gallman, who exited the Week 5 game with a concussion? Do you fear that Saquon Barkley might be rushed back or asked to do too much too soon in his comeback from injury now that Gallman is also hurt? Like, did the Giants really want to lean on Jonathan Hilleman? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, they have no choice. They have to protect their their, their star player and their investment. And so, um, you know, what can you do? This week at New England is they probably know they're taking an L uh, regardless. Sure. So it would probably make sense not to rush Barkley back. Um, the fact that he, like McCaffrey, is also superhuman and is already doing things in practice and um, technically probably, I guess, maybe could play week six. It's just kind of rushing things. There's no reason to do that. Bring them back in week seven where they face Arizona, um, you know, winnable game and, uh, you know, just do it like that. And for now, Hillman could be a one week pickup. Um, I actually wrote a couple weeks ago uh, before Gallman's big breakout game. I was basically, um, you know, giving people crap for spending 70, 80 percent of their, you know, uh, of their budget on Gallman when, you know, it was a basically, uh, you know, a couple of week rental. Now this happened. Not a, not happy about it or not a good thing that that happened. But um you know, just him, not someone I believe in, nor Hillman. And if so, it'll be Hillman for one game at New England. So I see no value there with him. Yeah, better to be lucky than good with those injury breaks. Not to say that we root for injuries, but uh, yeah, I was I was with you, actually. I didn't think Coleman was worth all that much fab or much tension off the waiver wire. I feel like most people overspent for him. And we looked foolish in that first week that he had the starting role. He put up a huge game. Uh, but this is the downside we see with that. Um, it, it, I would have been curious to see if he could have stayed healthy, how much he you know, might have repeated uh, that first big game if, if he could have maintained that level of production and really proven us wrong. But I think he's just a guy. I think John Hilleman is just a guy. And I hope this doesn't make the Giants rush Barkley back. That's really what I'm getting at here. Uh, let's talk about uh, another team in that division, the Dallas Cowboys. Lyle Collins, uh, the Cowboys' right tackle, injured his knee. Uh, the left tackle for the Cowboys, uh, Tyron Smith, was already injured in week four. This offensive line situation for Dallas is not looking great. Do you think we need to start fading their offense a little bit uh, due to these injuries? 
Uh, I mean, it, it, it just really depends because it, it depends who you're talking about. Maybe a fringe guy, um, but you know, obviously, you're still starting Zeke Elliott, even if he's going to be less um, mm-hmm. uh, less viable um, in terms of upside. Uh, same thing. I mean, you're you're still starting Amari Cooper, uh, Dak Prescott in a good matchup, um, depending on who your other quarterback is, or you know, if you're streaming. Um, you know, you're still playing these guys. Obviously, it is a big blow um, having basically your best two. Uh, you know, guys there um, for the line is is brutal. So really not much we can do, but, uh, you know, maybe somebody like a, a, a Michael Gallup, um, depending on who our alternatives are, uh, may need to reconsider uh, him versus someone else. You make a good point about how these players in the Dallas offense already had a certain level of status in terms of fantasy value. So I guess what I'm really getting at is like the real minutia between, say, Zeke Elliott and Christian McCaffrey or Zeke Elliott and Alvin Kamara. And I'm wondering maybe... If you thought those guys were close before, and I'm, I'm sure you did, like, do you start to split hairs based upon these offensive line matchups, say, if you're going to set a DFS lineup or something like that? Do you think, okay, uh, maybe I need to bump Zeke down just a hair because of these injuries? Uh, that is 100%. And this is really where it comes into because, obviously, in season long, we're, we're already locked in, right? If you have Zeke, you're, you know, right. you're pretty much starting Zeke as long as he's healthy. Um, but as far as DFS, I mean, yeah, of course, um, it, it, it plays into consideration. It just means, uh, you know, less less room for him to run, less uh, potential for upside, especially when, you know, that's what we're really shooting for in, in DFS um, and in tournaments. And, uh, you know, they got a bye coming up in, in week eight. Um, between now and then, it's uh, at the Jets and uh, versus Philly. And these are two teams that, uh, you know, aren't don't have good secondaries. They have strong, you know, lines, strong, um, you know, defensive lines, strong defenses. And so they might be able to stop the run. So not necessarily great upside spots for somebody like Zeke. Mason Rudolph suffered a pretty bad hit, had a concussion in that game against Baltimore. He was replaced by Devlin Hodges, who I'll admit I'd never heard of before. And he looks surprisingly serviceable in relief of Rudolph. But uh, Rudolph being injured, James Washington hurting his shoulder in that game. Are you starting to worry about this Pittsburgh offense? Because I'm, I mean, at this point, I'm afraid of every piece there. Juju, James Conner, uh, again, and seasonal, we might be locked into these guys to some extent, but at some point enough is enough and, and you have to really start to fade these guys and maybe try to get out from under them. Even, even if they're just riding your bench and you're starting someone else in their place, maybe not dropping them. But uh, what are you doing with Pittsburgh at this point? You know, honestly, the only bright spot they have is in three weeks, they're going to face the Dolphins. Um, but, you know, this upcoming weekend, they have an island game. I believe it's uh, the, the Sunday night game. Then they have a bye. Uh, hopefully it gives them a chance to regroup. Hopefully Mason Rudolph is back at that point. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of a, a rough season for them. Um, we're, you know, we're seeing guys in play here that we hadn't seen before, uh, you know, like a Deontay, um, uh, Deontay there. And, uh, uh, you know, James Conner, unfortunately, is somebody that uh, just, you know, just been has been really inefficient as a runner. He way out snapped uh, uh, Samuel last uh, or this past weekend and, and still couldn't get much done. Got a lucky score. Uh, but so far as a, you know, as a first rounder and I have him on a couple of teams, you know, looking definitely looking like a bust. Yeah, but it's a bust because of the injury to Roethlisberger more than anything else. I mean, the setup there yeah. would still be good. I mean, I do think we probably didn't account enough for the loss of Antonio Brown from that offense. That's probably the biggest thing that we missed with the Steelers coming into this year uh, because mm-hmm. even before Roethlisberger got hurt they didn't look quite as explosive and I think that that's pretty much due to Brown and Brown alone but uh, we'll see how this plays out I'm with you I think that this is a, a, a shaky situation maybe after the bye when Rudolph gets back uh, they can turn it around a little bit uh, a couple more wide receiver injuries to mention here uh, two hamstring pulls uh, Philip Dorsett of the Patriots Sammy Watkins of the Chiefs 
Can you contrast these two guys a little bit and kind of tell me, I guess, how you're looking at the Patriots versus the Chiefs going forward? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously hamstring injuries not not good for uh, for receivers. Uh, Dorsett was kind of a fringe guy. I mean, he was somebody we were going to potentially use uh, as a, as a bye week filler. Uh, you know, over these next few weeks, um, you know, somebody that is pretty much uh, probably hanging out on most people's benches in, in redraft leagues. Sammy Watkins, um, after week one, we had completely different expectations. When Tyreek Hill went down and Watkins had that monster outing, uh, we're like, okay, we've got a wide receiver one on our hands here, and he's doing what uh, what's, what Sammy does. Hopefully Mahomes is okay. I uh, mean, you know, obviously he seemed like he was uh, struggling, not fully healthy last game. Something just really odd and strange about that KC offense, you know, watching some of that game on Sunday night. Um, but nevertheless, these are two teams that uh, for – you know, all intents and purposes, will probably find their way um, to uh, the Super Bowl or close to it. And again, there's a correlation between uh, teams that are really damn good in real life and ones that we have problems with sort of picking pieces off uh, for DFS because they just have so many weapons. Because you're right, you don't know, is it a, it's a Tyreek week or, a, a, um, you know, Kelsey or Watkins or, you know, or, or this week Demarcus Robinson breaks out and, and same thing on the, on the New England side. Last injury I want to talk about is on the defensive side of the ball. Tony Jefferson, the safety for the Ravens, injured his knee, and they already had cornerback Jimmy Smith out. How aggressively do you think we should be targeting this pass defense for Baltimore with receivers? I think this is something that we can really start to exploit going forward. Yeah, it looks like it, and it's something that's kind of the last thing I would even um, (laughs) expect uh, at this point in the season. But yeah, I mean, they're obviously strong at at stopping the run and and so far have... uh, uh, are basically allowing almost 300 uh, you know yards per game to opposing receivers. Um, you know, so so people are eating. They've got uh, uh, Humphreys shadowing basically now um, over these last couple weeks, and 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 having those pieces missing is uh, really a really big deal for them. So you know, um, it, it, it's crazy that it's come a time where Baltimore now becomes somebody that we can stream receivers against. But um, you know, here we are, Cincinnati and Seattle the next two weeks. Who was your boom of the week? Which of your fantasy starters made the biggest or most unexpected positive impact on your fantasy teams? Uh, so for me, it was uh, the Eagles D, actually. Um, so yes, I do play in leagues that still have defenses, <laughs> but uh, but I play in a lot of um, you know NFFC. Uh, I do a lot of the, the online championships. I have a few um, a few of the high, higher stakes teams up there too, uh, and. I pretty much have New England defense who I, I made sure to get and, and draft before the season because they had an amazing schedule. But on teams I didn't, um, where I was looking to stream a defense for whatever reason, Eagles D was available literally everywhere. So I made sure I overbid. Um, you know, every point matters. And so I didn't want to mess around with, you know, defenses that I had no idea what to expect from, where at least from Philadelphia in this matchup, um, you know, I knew it would be a plus matchup. So Worked out, um, wasn't expecting 35 uh, fantasy points, but, you know, pretty amazing. The worst part and the most tilting part, I had an incredible DFS week, but for whatever reason, I was stuck wholeheartedly on the Bears going off, their oh, defensive unit going off. Ouch. Same price as Philly, just about. I pretty much had those four points out of the Bears in a lineup that otherwise would have won, you know, would have taken all the money down, where literally I could have just plugged in the team that I picked up in season long everywhere. Go figure. 
Man, I'm really glad you brought this up because I picked up Philly and redraft everywhere. And just like you, they helped me win a few matchups that I probably didn't deserve to win. Uh, between them and uh, Zane Gonzalez, yes, I still play in leagues with kickers, listeners. Uh, those two fantasy commodities really came through this week. Uh, I, I feel like Zane Gonzalez might be you know, just a top five kicker going forward the way that the Cardinals play. You know what? Uh, I overdid it. So I was I was an early adopter on Zane Gonzalez when I saw that first game where they kept you know taking kicks in the, mm-hmm. within the you know in the five yard um, within the five yard line. I then since dropped him. I got a little too clever and, and started you know picking up. Oh, Brett Mayer is available. Let's pick him up. And you know I know we, we don't want to get in a kicking conversation here, but you're <laughs> absolutely right. If you're in any kicking leagues, just that Cliff uh, Kingsbury offense. Um, he's perfect for you know you need a kicker just pop them in there every week. So I blew it. I, I dropped them and probably someone else will pick them up. Yeah. I mean, they just provide more opportunities for the kicker because they run at such a fast pace. Uh, But getting back to the Eagles, I'm really glad you brought them up because they really were a game changer this week, regardless of what your fantasy format was. And like you, I picked them up everywhere in redraft and I didn't use them in DFS at all. Like a complete dummy. I was all over the Panthers. I liked their matchup against Minshew and I really, I paid down way too much for Tampa Bay. I was expecting, uh, you know, Tampa Bay to actually handle the New Orleans offense to some extent. Of course, that was really dumb to, to expect that in the Superdome. Uh, and this ties in really well with my boom of the week. Teddy Bridgewater against the Bucks, 26 of 34 passing for 314 yards, four TDs and one interception. I did not see this coming from Bridgewater based upon his previous few games. And it goes to show that, you know, we are dealing with such small sample sizes here, right? Like two or three games does not tell the entire story of a player or an opposing defense or any of that. But I'm still a little skeptical that Bridgewater is going to keep this up going forward. I have a feeling this was kind of a perfect storm of home matchup, uh, soft opponent relatively uh, against Tampa Bay. Do you think that Bridgewater is going to be able to keep this up? Uh, you know what? I mean, when you have uh, weapons like Kamara and Michael Thomas and you're getting comfortable with them, I think, uh, you know, it's a good spot. And, and a lot of this is contextual, right? They, they've got uh, Jacksonville and Arizona and Atlanta and then Tampa Bay again in three of their next five weeks. So they are there are some good matchups here uh, for the pass offense to exploit. Uh, and, and Teddy Bridgewater, I was just watching an interview with him the other day. He's such a like easygoing guy he's almost like kind of timid and i'm and i'm watching and i'm like man i really want to you i also wanted to use tampa bay in dfs i'm like man they're just gonna pound this kid and alas nope quite quite the opposite happened so it's uh it's football right any given sunday that's right uh so which of your bench players had the biggest or most unexpected positive performance and what do you think you missed uh when you decided to not put them into your lineup one of them, you really couldn't do anything um, in these 20-round uh, NF- NFFC leagues where, uh, you know, you have that deep bench. You've got 10 starters and 10 guys on sure. the bench. You can really kind of, um, you know, uh, um, you know, keep these guys warm. And uh, on my David Johnson team, I had Chase Edmonds. And, of course, I would never play him unless uh, DJ's hurt. Uh, but, you know, he played a career high in snaps. Um, you know, David Johnson after the game's talking about, he literally, you know, his first ever back pain this serious, couldn't even like fly back. Um, you know, Edmonds had those four targets, eight made the most of his carries, eight carries for uh, 68 yards. Um, so, you know, there was really no way to regret that. The one I do regret, though, is uh, Jared Cook, because kind of knew that this game was coming, um, you know, just coming off, you know, uh, first four weeks, not looking so good. Uh, and instead, Eifert was available on waivers. So I picked up Eifert yeah. for the uh, quote unquote smash Arizona game. And uh, and of course, you know, he missed that uh, or Dalton missed him. Can't blame Eifert for it. Dalton missed him in the end zone. Uh, and uh, instead, Jared Cook did score a touchdown, had a much better game. 
Yeah, I mean, sometimes you just have that embarrassment of riches at a certain position, or you're just looking at a guy who you wouldn't normally start anyway, like Chase Edmonds, so that makes sense. Cook, Cook is a really tricky one, though. I think no matter how you slice it, it was hard to start him in that spot. I mean, in some cases, you, you might as well have just left him in there because the tight end position is such a, a dumpster fire. But I can't blame you for starting Eifert over him. Like you said, that was the perfect matchup to use Eifert. Eifert had the touchdown, but Dalton just couldn't get it to him. And that's that's the way it breaks. Uh, for me, uh, in Scott Fishbowl, I benched Michael Gallup uh, against the Packers. 14 targets for 7 catches, 113 yards, and a touchdown receiving. I was just really worried about limited use coming back from the injury, but I, I guess he's fine, right? Yes, uh, that one stings big time. And um, one of my uh, high stakes squads, uh, you know, been waiting for Gallup to get back and have since spent, uh, you know, a good chunk of fab on Demarcus Robinson buying high off of that big game. And I was basically sweating that until the afternoon on that decision. Am I going to play Demarcus Robinson in the evening and get a piece of that 57 uh, high total? Uh, or should I play Gallup? And, and you know, at a, at a certain point, I ended up just um, you know, putting Robinson in there with similar concerns that you have. And so, hey, I paid the price and it cost me about 20 points. Now let's get to our bust of the week segment. And if I had asked my uh, my wife to give me her bust of the week, she probably would have said Andy Dalton, like getting back to your Tyler Eifert call there. Uh, he, he really uh, did not do well for her when I recommended she stream him over Josh Allen. It's not like Josh Allen had a great game either, but Dalton was just so bad. Uh, but who was your bust of the week? Who was the player who made the biggest or most unexpected negative impact on your fantasy rosters this week? I mean, for me, honestly, it goes back to James Conner. Um, just not a good situation for him there. Uh, and, you know, when you're spending high draft capital on, on somebody like that, you expect some results. What was most shocking is no receptions, not a single uh, catch uh, for James Conner, only 11 carries for 55 yards. And the most intriguing part of that, those 55 yards he had was a season high for him this season. So so it's been tough sledding for us James Conner owners. For me, I got to look at the Panthers here. Uh, Greg Olson is my official bust of the week. Only two targets, no catches, no points. Uh, Only had four targets the week prior. And Curtis Samuel, I had in my Scott Fishbowl lineup, uh, the aforementioned same team where I benched Michael Gallup. So that would have been a really nice swap if I would have thought to make it. Uh, Samuel only had six targets, three catches, 50 yards receiving. Did have two carries for 25 yards rushing. So not the worst week, especially when he hit that 50-yard bonus for Scott Fish. But I, I was really disappointed by this passing attack for Carolina going up against the Jalen ramsey list Jaguars secondary do you think this is a Kyle Allen problem? Is this just a Christian McCaffrey problem? Uh, is a little bit of both? Like, what's your take on the the Panthers' offense? I mean, it's uh, the the receivers. Unfortunately, it's just going to be you know what they can what they can get. It's going to be very inconsistent so long as McCaffrey is healthy because it just makes sense to continuously feed him. I mean, he just is he's breaking tackles at you know just in an insane level. He's just so dominant and so good. It just makes sense. I mean, we'll see what happens when and if Cam Newton is healthy and how things change. I think Kyle Allen has been serviceable. Um, so, you know, it's been decent. And actually, as a matter of fact, and, and in fact, your listeners may turn this off at this point and, and, and have no respect for me, but I uh, sat DJ Shark in, NF, in the uh, Scott Fishbowl for Golden Tate. So how about that? Oh, man. Yeah, Shark has been 
been like an every week starter in that format. It's been really wild. He's on my team too. But yeah, getting back to the Panthers, I am a lot more concerned about Olsen just because of the the lack of targets. Like you look at the past two weeks, only six targets across those games. Like that's concerning to me. That tells me that Kyle Allen just really isn't looking his way all that much. With Samuel, the targets have been there. The air yards have been there. Like he has air yards on par with DeAndre Hopkins, Kenny Galladay, uh, Terry McLaurin. Like he's looking good in terms of the targets that he's getting. They're quality targets. He just hasn't been converting them all into yards. So I'm more optimistic about him turning it around, even with Kyle Allen. But Greg Olson, he's the guy I'm really worried about. Now let's talk about some other poor performances here. What's one that might make you think that the player is going to be a buy low option leading into week six? Like who are you targeting uh, for a bounce back? Uh, I mean, I think there are a few guys basically in the top 60 uh, ADP from, from this draft season that uh, I think are some decent targets and uh, maybe I'll just throw them out there and, and see what you think. Um, one is Le'Veon Bell. Uh, honestly, just wasn't a fan of him during draft season. I didn't like that offense, but uh you know, I mean, for PPR, he's, you know, at some point he's going to start getting in the end zone. He's, he's catching a lot of balls. Uh, and when Darnold, uh, when Sam Darnold gets back, it's going to be an up, instant upgrade for that offense. You honestly can't get any worse than Luke Falk. So he's one. Uh, Diggs is interesting. Stefan Diggs, uh, mm-hmm. they do get a weak Philly secondary. Um, and, or perhaps there's a trade brewing if, you know, Dorsett's down. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe, maybe he goes to the Patriots. That would be amazing. And then uh, Brandon Cooks, I feel like people are kind of low on him. He's in concussion protocol, you know, give you 6.6 points this past week. Um, gets after this this next week, he's going to get at Atlanta and Cincy, a couple of really good matchups for him to bounce back and get right. Uh, so I think between those three guys, there's some potential by lows with upside there. Yeah, I love the Cooks call, and I love the Le'Veon Bell call. I, I mean, I think all the Jets' offense is probably a by low at this point just because people are afraid of – that team without Sam Darnold and Darnold will be back eventually. So I think Robbie Anderson, Jamison Crowder, you can look to all those players as potential by lows. I'm not completely sold on Diggs uh, outside of a trade. Like if he sticks on Minnesota, I'm worried about him because we know he requested a trade, right? And all these reports that are coming out about him or, you know, he's warming up with the third string quarterback in practice or something like that. He's not working with Kirk Cousins. And that's a problem. That's a bit of a red flag for me. Uh, The player I'd be looking to target here, uh, getting back to your Patriots uh, call, there's Josh Gordon, uh, 8.7 targets per game over the past three weeks, but only 8.6 points per game, uh, half point PPR in that span. So eventually he should start to turn those targets that he's seeing into more points, uh, especially now that Dorsett is injured. Uh, we can expect the targets to go up. We can expect that production for Josh Gordon to go up. I think that he is in that same sort of mix as, uh, you know, a Brandon Cooks as a, a guy who, you know, is, is getting the workload, but hasn't really converted. Uh, I assume that he's going to get there eventually. Yeah, and, and you know what? I, I uh, he, he was actually another guy. Uh, I kind of made a short list, and um, it just makes sense. You know, I mean, he's somebody that I invested in and thought he'd be all right uh, this year for you know as, as your wide receiver three or four. Uh, and it's coming. You know, it, it, it's well overdue. Uh, Patriots have a very good schedule coming up uh, for the pass offense, so I'm on board with that. We're going to get into the week six waiver strategy for this podcast, but before we do, uh, let's take a quick break for the sponsor of the show. Fantasy Draft, the only rake-free daily fantasy site in the business, is running the largest rake-free contests out there each and every week. All told, Fantasy Draft is regularly paying out millions of dollars in prizes, and all of those winnings are rake-free. That's right, Fantasy Draft is the only daily fantasy site with no management fees taken out of the prize pools. And this isn't just a limited-time promotion. 100% of Fantasy Draft's contests are rake-free, and meanwhile, other DFS sites can continue to raise their rakes, squeeze the prize pools, and make it harder for players like you to win. But at Fantasy Draft, the days of paying up to 16% of your entry fees to the house, those are over. 
Sign up at FantasyDraft.com today with the promo code 4 for 4 just like it is in our website address, the number 4, F-O-R, 4, and you'll get a free 7-day trial membership on your first $1,000 in rake-free entry fees. That's FantasyDraft.com with promo code 4 for 4 Don't miss your shot at millions of dollars in rake-free contests this season. Start playing at FantasyDraft.com today. All right, Vlad, we're back. Let's talk Week 6 waivers, and we have four teams on by this time around. It's Buffalo, Chicago, Indianapolis, and Oakland. Not missing a ton of... You know, super, super important teams. Uh, there are some key players from each of those teams, of course. Uh, but I, I think in general, this isn't going to be a week that stretches us too thin in terms of roster decisions. But before we get into the actual positions and which players we want to pick up, I want to talk to you a little bit more about, I guess, strategy based upon how your team is doing. And I'm curious what the worst record is that you're dealing with at this point in the season in a league. And what's your approach to kind of battling back there? Like, what are you doing with the teams that are struggling right now? I mean, usually I have enough teams where at this point I would always have one that's one and four. But uh, the way Monday Night Football is is shaping up tonight, I'll I'll end up having a you know a two and three team at worst, which is you know obviously um, not in, in in dire straits position. Uh, but you know one of the things I like to do is is always look a week ahead for pickups. I think uh, you know depending on the depth of your bench. Uh, sort of anticipating, um, you know, of course, injuries can wreck everything, but anticipating ahead of time uh, can really help, especially where you're not having to fight people uh, in in a free agent bidding over some of these people. Um, and then even perhaps even planning out, you know, looking at the bye weeks where you may have issues, right? Like w- when we drafted, we realized, okay, I might have a lot of guys on bye week seven or 11, but how will I deal with that now that I'm getting close to it? Um, I think those are two more um, actionable things we can do. I think um, with free agent bidding and, and just waivers, it's it's tough because each week is it's a new scenario. A lot of times things depend on you know injuries to starters and, and who emerges after that, and so you know and then figuring out who we're going to blow our budget on as a replacement, right? So it's I think th- that's kind of a, a piece of the puzzle that's a little tougher to determine. Yeah, it's really hard to give, you know, straightforward advice for a question like this because it might be a situation where you have just been unlucky and so you need to be able to take that kind of fearless inventory of your roster and of your decisions to that point in the year and say, "Okay, how much of this is my fault? How much of this is just bad luck? And how does that combination of factors impact what I'm going to do going forward?" If I have good players and I just have been running into bad matchups or I've been making some shaky start sit calls, like you talked about benching Chark this week, like maybe that's a reason you might lose a matchup and then you might say to yourself, okay, do I need to start playing Chark ahead of these other guys that I thought were my top receivers? Uh, but it doesn't always necessarily mean making hasty or rash moves on the waiver wire. And I think that at some point you really have to be a little extra careful to not overreact to a bad start because we talked about how a few weeks can be such a small sample we're only five weeks into the year, and yes, you know the there's more pressure each and every week that we keep losing to do better and get back into the playoff hunt, but you do still need to kind of remember why we like certain players early on, right, and why you drafted certain players. Now, if they're not delivering on that, and if you don't expect them to deliver on that anymore, then yeah, it's time to cut bait, but there are some others where I think that you can kind of hold tight. Like, I think Josh Gordon is one of those guys. Brandon Cooks is one of those guys. These buy-low type players if those guys are on your roster and you're losing because of it, you kind of just got to grin and bear it and put them back in your lineup each and every week and hope that they eventually turn it around. Now, it's not always going to work out, but I think sometimes you have to be more willing to stand pat than uh, than overreact or, or tinker too much. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think what a lot of people do is they oh, it's it's the recent sleep bias kicking in. Yeah. It's it's literally what happened this past weekend. And you know, obviously, it's going to be a different uh, situation or different context uh, the following week, depending on the matchup and projected game script. And so um, and so, yeah, I think it is a good idea to kind of sit back. Take a look at your team as a whole. Um, take it all in early in the week before you start um, making your your start sit decisions uh, later in the week. So let's get into the running back waiver ads, and it's ugly this week. It was ugly last week too. The running back position is one that's generally picked pretty clean because if you end up with a starting running back, they're super valuable, and for that reason, people tend to hoard, uh, you know, the most valuable backups. And because of bye weeks, because of injuries. Those backups are often getting cut when they're not producing. Like I'm thinking of players like Malcolm Brown, but it's it's really ugly all sold. And I'm curious where you're looking to go uh, with the running back position this week. Before we get into some of the lesser owned players, I want to start with Adrian Peterson, who's at 49% ownership. Uh, the new interim coach there, Bill Callahan in Washington, reportedly wants to run the ball more. And I just don't know if we should care about that. Like, do we need to assign extra value to Peterson and make sure that he's owned based upon this news? I think it's just uh, d- depends on your your team situation. If you you know foresee uh, viability of of playing him in the next few weeks, then then perhaps that makes sense. Um, the he does have a good matchup this week, right? They're uh, they're they're going to be playing the Dolphins, and if they, they want to establish the run, then th- this is a good place to do that. Um, but a couple weeks after that, they're going to go to Minnesota uh, at Buffalo. Um, you know, those are two spots where, um, and even in San Francisco, these are games that there could be, you know, negative game script, and it may just end up being a, a Chris Thompson game anyways. Well, and you fall victim to a couple other problems with Adrian Peterson if you look to start him. One, if he's in the backfield, you know he's probably not going to be catching the ball, and that that's a, yep. an obvious running situation, which is easy for defenses to plan against and easy for them to make sure that he's not going to burn them. Uh, and on top of that, Adrian Peterson just might not be the same guy that he was even last year, and let alone you know two, three years ago. I just don't know if I want to roster that type of player. Like, is there any difference between Adrian Peterson and a player like Peyton Barber at this point in their careers? Like, I don't see it. Do you? No, no. In fact, I, I prefer Peyton Barber. <laughs> there you go. Um, so let's talk about some of these other running backs we could be picking up. And admittedly, they're all just kind of handcuff types, guys playing behind more established runners on their teams. Like I'm looking at Ito Smith, 14% ownership. Jordan Wilkins, 6% ownership. Chase Edmonds, 2% ownership. John Hillman, who's pretty much unowned completely. I don't know if I really want to aggressively target any of these guys. So uh, is there one that stands out to you? Is there any other handcuff type that you particularly like as a speculative ad? Uh, well, it's uh, Chase Edmonds is probably somebody who I think uh, is worthy of a bid because we don't know uh, the extent of David Johnson's um, you know back problems right now. We'll see as the news break, breaks out uh, over the course of the week. But uh, Chase Edmonds stepping in if, if um, David Johnson is out is going to be uh, of huge value. Uh, Hilleman, honestly, not not interested whatsoever, uh, especially with you know Barkley back and them going to have a bye week. Jordan Wilkins is really just a case of uh, Marlon Mack hadn't been at full strength, and so you know obviously he got a little bit a little bit more work um, over the last couple of weeks. Um, Ito Smith is intriguing uh, because you've got that um, it's you know, almost like a 55, 45, or 60, 40 split there in favor of Devontae Freeman. I actually needed Ito Smith uh, in, on one of my most important teams. Where I have Dalvin Cook, uh, I had Carryon Johnson on by. Um, my next next best guy um, in the backfield was Burkhead, who was out. Oof. Then it's like Latavius Murray, who I can't trust, or Darwin Thompson, who I'm about to drop. So I'm like, it's gonna have to be Edo Smith, and luckily <laughs> he came through with 12 and a half points. So you know, at least somewhat salvage. 
Yeah, and like you said, the, the split there is much more even than we might have expected heading into the week. Uh, I saw from Jared Smola on Twitter, at SmolaDS, a really good follow for uh, you know opportunities, snap share sorts of tweets uh, at the end of each week. Devonta Freeman had 16 opportunities, that's carries plus targets, and Ido Smith had 11. So these guys are being used pretty similar. We've seen the Falcons use this sort of MO in the past where they're really a, a pretty bona fide committee. So I think Smith is the one guy who you can really make a case for. Wilkins is interesting to me because when he was getting work ahead of Marlon Mack, it was in the red zone. It was along the goal line. And maybe he just becomes that Jeff Wilson type player for a couple of weeks while Mack is, is getting back to full strength. Edmonds, I don't know. I see him as more of a pure handcuff. I think that the production that he put up there against Cincinnati was more due to the fact that David Johnson was hurting a little bit and the, the game script uh, kind of incentivized the Cardinals to run a little bit more with Edmonds. Um, Hillman, I'm not interested in either. And yeah, I, I don't really see any other handcuff type as being a standout ahead of these other guys. It kind of just depends on who you think is most likely to get hurt or benched, right? That's really it all it is. I mean, if, if you are in these uh, these leagues where you have a, a 20-man roster, uh, maybe, you know, Raquel Armstead or Alexander Madison or DeAndre Washington are available, and you can just scoop them up in case something does happen to one of these starters. But obviously we don't want injury and, and, and we you know don't want to rely on it. But for that speculation, I think those guys are potentially viable in deep leagues. Yeah, they're just lottery tickets, and you might have one that hits, you might not. And it could be expected, it could be unexpected. It's really hard to tell, so... Uh, I don't really have any strong opinions on any players aside from Ido Smith and Jordan Wilkins. I think those are the two who I'd be looking to go get right now because it seems like they have more locked-in value week to week. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that their upside is higher than someone like Malcolm Brown or Darrell Williams or someone like that. So, um, yeah, just kind of use your best judgment and uh, pick up the guy who you think is most likely to luck into that that big role. Um, let's move on to wide receiver. There are a lot of different options at wide receiver, as usual. Um, I have a list in the show notes here of about, I don't know, 10 or 12 guys. Um, who's standing out to you? Like, who are you interested in picking up this week? A.J. Brown and Auden Tate are probably a couple of guys that should be owned. Um, you know, obviously, we saw that monster uh, game out of Brown uh, in week four. We saw one earlier from him um, you know, earlier in the year. Um, but, you know, just somebody that's going to be tough to time, um, but someone who could be viable uh, during these, these uh, tough bye weeks coming up. Uh, Auden Tate, uh, you know, big bodied guy, especially if AJ Green gets traded um, with uh, Ross still out there for a while. I think he's somebody uh, who can have some value. And then honestly, uh, these Miami Dolphin receivers, um, they're all sort of of the same, uh, you know, I mean, they're, they're different builds, but they all are sort of um, dynamic. And, and, you know, we're talking about Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, and uh, hopefully Albert Wilson will be coming back. Um, I kind of like this trio a lot better with Rosen. Um, picking the right one week to week is obviously going to be tough, uh, but you're going to have a lot of guys that are going to have game strip scripts that are going to favor uh, Miami uh, just passing a lot. Um, and these guys are going to catch some balls and in deep leagues. I think they could work out. Yeah, I've been banging the drum for Preston Wilson every week. And along those same lines, Devontae Parker, Albert Wilson kind of have the same sort of upside with the Dolphins having to throw a lot. Some of these guys are going to have big games some weeks. And if you happen to land on the right one during a bye week uh, when you need to fill in. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I love the A.J. Brown call. He played his highest snap share of the year in Week 5, I think 65% of the snaps. And Auden Tate, of course, 
Uh, I don't know why he wasn't picked up more leading into the week after the John Ross injury. He's only 22% owned, and he played every snap in Week 5 for the Bengals, so Tate has to be on your roster. Uh, the only other players I really want to tab here are the Niners guys, and we haven't seen Monday Night Football, so we don't know how they're deployed uh, this week against the Browns, but Debo Samuel, Dante Pettis, Marquise Goodwin, all of them are 30% owned or less, so I think depending upon what we see in this game tonight, uh, maybe you have a good idea about who you want to go after here for Week 6. I lie. That isn't the last uh, wide receiver I want to talk about. Let's talk about Byron Prinkle because he really did look good in relief of Sammy Watkins for the Chiefs. I'm not sure it really matters. This could be just a one-week wonder. Are you buying it all with Pringle? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I know that uh, high-stakes folks are going to be buying because, uh, you know, with these, um, you know, I keep beating the drum, but with these deep rosters, um, somebody of it, this type of team context on Kansas City, especially if Sammy Watkins is hurt, um, and obviously Mahomes trusted in that game, uh, is definitely viable. You know, he's a uh, you know, big guy, uh, 6'1", 205, not necessarily the best burst, nor, nor the fastest guy. I do think he's going to be somebody people are just going to, you know, I mean, you probably go right now and look at the Yahoo pickups, and I'm sure, like, he's probably, probably one of the most picked up guys right now. Yeah, that would make sense. But I would say, before you go look for Pringle, uh, make sure that Miko Hardman isn't already rostered in your league of because course. he's available in about 46% of leagues. He's below our, you know, 50% threshold here for the waiver show. But if he's out there, he's got to be a higher priority than someone like Pringle and probably all the other receivers we talked about. The last guy I want to bring up here is Golden Tate. He's kind of in that same boat. He's owned in most leagues, but uh, it's looking pretty promising. He didn't impress in that first game back from suspension, but he should be owned. And he played most of his uh, snaps in the slot. Would you claim any of these other wide receivers ahead of Tate this week? No, I wouldn't. Um, it's it's uh, just, you know, it's a scenario where had he not been suspended and missed those first few games, I mean, keep in mind where he was being drafted, uh, you know, before then he was a, a essentially a top 100 overall pick uh, going to a new team. Um, he's they're going to be their slot man. You know, they moved uh, Shepard to the outside. He's got some value uh, and, you know, not a guy who necessarily scores a lot of touchdowns, but for PPR leagues, um, there's some value here. He's just somebody you can, you know, pretty much rely on, have a decent floor, and someone I trust a lot more than, uh, than most of the guys on this list. Let's move on to tight end. And I want to start with a couple guys who are going to be coming back eventually. Chris Herndon uh, should be coming back this week uh, from suspension. Hunter Henry should be coming back from injury soon-ish, question mark. What is your approach to these two players? Are you willing to maybe try to go get Henry a week early if he's out there? Now, he's only out there in 60% of leagues, so he's not going to be available everywhere. But if he were out there in one of your leagues, would you be looking to maybe get out ahead of it and, and pick him up now? Uh, yeah, I did I did just that um, in a 20-team in a uh, roster. Um, he was dropped last weekend. I made sure... Uh, you know, didn't spend all that much. It was less than a 10% bid because I didn't, I didn't think it needed, needed that much to grab him. But, uh, you know, he's already running. Um, he could be back at the earliest week seven, which is just a couple of weeks away, most likely week eight. And, um, you know, he's, uh, he's one of the best tight ends and, and, and fantasy values, um, at the position. So I think if he is out there, it depends on, on your, your bench. Of course, you have a five man bench. It's very tough to pick somebody up like that, especially if you don't have the IR spot. Uh, Herndon as well. Um, it, it really just depends what you have, uh, who, who you're currently playing and using. But, you know, hey, if you have like a, a Doyle or a Ebron, it makes a lot of sense to pick up a Herndon where you know the targets, you know, he's he's going to be, you know, the, the main guy at his position and seeing a lot of snaps. Another guy who is seeing more and more snaps each and every week is Dawson Knox of the Buffalo Bills. He's still only 16% owned in Yahoo Leagues. Where would he rank for you versus, you know, Hunter Henry, Chris Herndon and, and that type of player? 
you know, he, he's still down there. I, I had to use him uh, this past week in a spot where I had an issue with my uh, with my starting tight end and, and just kind of got hit by the injury bug. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys that's starting to get a little bit more um, connection with uh, with Josh Allen. And uh, um, he's just a deep league guy. There's really not a lot of value there. Somebody like Gerald Everett, on the on the other hand, um, again, another guy I was a little early on, uh, picked him up for week three. He did nothing in a good matchup and then smashed in weeks four and five after I had already dropped him and started using other tight ends. So playing that musical tight ends share game, uh, him to me, even just because of the offense, is somebody that I'd probably be even more interested in than Dawson Knox. Yeah, I like Everett. My big concern with him is that we might be looking at just a game script error uh, on his stat sheet over the the past couple weeks. Like Along those lines, I think that we need to temper our expectations for Everett. But with that said, I think he, he is on that same level as Dawson Knox, a guy who is going to have some blow-up weeks. Uh, he's in a good offense. Uh, Everett's in a, in a good offense. Knox is not. Um, but mm-hmm. th- there's value there. Uh, it's just a matter of when that value is going to hit. Going a little deeper, is there anybody that stands out to you? Like I've listed Ben Watson, Mike Kosicki, Foster Moreau of the Raiders, Jeff Swaim, now that James O'Shaughnessy is hurt. If you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel, do any of these guys stand out, or is there anybody I'm missing? I mean, Jeff Swaim is maybe a um, Scott Fishbowl pickup. Um, somebody you just, you know, you, you have an issue with tight ends. You need somebody for the bye week. He's somebody that might be able to sneak in a decent week. Um, we've seen Minshew uh, targeting his tight end a lot. And with Oshagasi down, um, you know, Swaim is somebody that could step up. Um, I think that's really about it. I think uh, Gusecki may just end up being a bust. Yeah, I think we could definitely see that happen. But he does have that same sort of game script upside that all of the other Dolphins receivers have. Uh, might not happen every week, but uh, I don't know. I, I could see him having a big game here or there. Uh, let's get on to quarterbacks. And for two quarterback and super flex pickups, I think there's only one real guy who we can look at, and that's Devlin Hodges taking over for Mason Rudolph in the interim. But I don't think you can put a whole lot of fab on Hodges if only because Rudolph's going to be back eventually, or we have to assume that he's going to be back from this concussion within a week or two. Um, so I, I'm not going to have you go any deeper than that uh, on Hodges, Vlad. Let's talk about uh, one quarterback streaming considerations. Uh, who stands out to you for week six as a, a quarterback that someone might be able to plug and play if they have somebody on by? I mean, at this point, the, the, the guy that really pops off to me is uh, Kirk Cousins, and that's simply because of the matchup with a uh, very, very burnable uh, Philadelphia Eagles secondary. Um, really a, a top streamer for me. Uh, this might be a game where Minnesota may end up having to uh, to pass a little bit like they did last week. Um, you know, it, it was kind of shocking to see. We do understand this is a, a run-first team. It's uh, a team behind Dalvin Cooks, but hey, even Dalvin Cooks catch, uh, uh, catches some balls. So Kirk Cousins, if he's out there, just somebody I trust you know, a little bit more than, than say like an Andy Dalton who I think gets Baltimore this week. Yeah. And we talked about how that Baltimore matchup might be a good one to, to exploit with passing offense, but I just don't know if I can get there with Andy Dalton anymore. They have so many problems along that offensive line in Cincinnati that even against Baltimore's bad pass defense, uh, the pass rush might still be able to give him enough problems to where he's not going to have a great game. Now I could be wrong. Like Dalton could very easily outscore a uh, Kirk Cousins based upon game script alone. Like if he does have time to throw and if Dalton is able to, you know, kind of get into that mode where he has to pass a lot to keep up with Lamar Jackson and company, then there might be value there. But I, I'm a little scared off of him. I, I'd rather use Cousins. I'd rather dig a little deeper and take Gardner Minshew against New Orleans. I'm a little scared of this one, too, because the New Orleans defense has been very good over the past few weeks. It seems like they really stepped up their game since Drew Brees got hurt. But I don't know, man. Every week I watch Gardner Minshew, he seems more and more like the real deal. He makes good throws. He's accurate. He makes good decisions, too, which for a young quarterback is a little surprising. Now, maybe put him against a better defense, and that's 
not going to show up quite as well. But it's not like Carolina is a total pushover defense, and he looked pretty good against them. Uh, I'm pretty excited to see what he can do against the Saints, especially because he's not going to be in the Superdome. He'll be at home in Jacksonville. Yeah, I was going to say, I think uh, he's somebody else that's definitely viable. The fact that the game is at home for Jacksonville is a good thing. I think, uh, you know, the secondary certainly has some leaks there. Um, you know, even even uh, Lattimore, who who does a lot of shadowing, um, you know, is not the same guy that he was a couple of years ago in his rookie year. The London game is interesting, too, by the way. Uh, Kyle sure. Allen, Tampa Bay is that pass funnel defense, right? So I think he's someone else that uh, is potentially viable as a streamer if you absolutely need it. Yep, and kind of along the same lines, Teddy Bridgewater against Jacksonville. Uh, the Jags' pass defense is not what it used to be, and Bridgewater looked really good against Tampa Bay. I don't know if I like Bridgewater as much on the road, kind of flip-flopping from this Gardner Minshew call that I just made, but I think Bridgewater is usable. What do you think about the two bad team quarterbacks that are facing off this week? Josh Rosen for the Dolphins and Colt McCoy for Washington. These guys are hardly owned at all in one-quarterback formats. Do you have any interest in uh, maybe like a dumpster dive with either of them, maybe even in like just uh, some DFS lineups where you're trying to pay up at a bunch of other positions? Yeah, no, I, I honestly don't think I can do that uh, this <laughs> week. Hey, maybe there'll be some scoring. I don't know. Um, it, you know, if I had to pick one side of it, I guess it would have to be Colt McCoy. Even if Josh, Rose, Josh Rosen is more talented, I just feel that Miami's defense is just so much worse than Washington's. With some of the changes going on there this week in Washington, um, I don't know. I think they might surprise and, and, and actually step up defensively. So if I was actually forced to, um, I guess I would go Colt McCoy. But if I can avoid it, I will. So speaking of defenses, that Washington defense at Miami is only 3% owned. Do we have uh, any interest there? Uh, possible. I think there's um, potentially viable for, uh, you know, for DFS. For in season long and redrafts, I think there are enough um, viable options that we don't have to go that route um, if we don't want to. I do know that Carolina is a defense that's still available in a lot of leagues. Uh, only the Patriots have more sacks than Carolina's 20 so far in the year. Uh, and they're, they impressed again this past week. Um, I think they you know, dropped about 15 or 14 points or so. Uh, so Carolina probably a top option for me this week. Yeah, a few others I like. Uh, I like the Packers against Detroit. Green Bay's been pretty good on defense. And then I really like Pittsburgh uh, against the Chargers. The Steelers are only 27% owned, and I've been kind of avoiding them based upon matchups to this point. But you look at their sack totals week after week, and they might just be a good fantasy defense. Maybe they should be owned everywhere and started every week. Uh, against the Chargers, I'm not scared. You know, what did la do against denver this week like yeah. if if they can't get it going against the broncos the steelers should be able to give them just as much trouble uh, it's a little concerning that pittsburgh is going on the road for that game but it's not like the chargers have much of a home field advantage right exactly yeah and so you know the thing about pittsburgh is it's uh it, it's tough in leagues where you don't have a deep bench because you don't want to hold a defense after that and, and i kind of like to look ahead with the d's if sure. i'm streaming them because the following week they have a bye week but then they get Miami. So it's, you know, kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. You can't really hold them, but then you kind of want that matchup later. So it's, it's really tough. Who are the players that you're looking to drop this week from your teams? Uh, it seems like at this point in the year, most of our roster should be pretty set, I think. Like, bye weeks are going to drive most of the pickups and drops that we make. I think and injuries, of course. But uh, who do you know you're going to be dropping from your rosters this time around? You know, it's um, really some of these running backs and and again and, and uh, apologize for those of you that don't play in deep formats uh but you know and aren't even thinking or talking about these guys but honestly it's like a, a raheem mostert or you know darwin thompson and malcolm brown just guys that aren't getting um, their fair share of snaps and even though mostert is the problem is tevin coleman's coming back what are they going to do with jeff wilson it's um 
a situation where I don't know when or if I can start him. If we're talking a little deeper, I guess uh, I hate to say it, but, you know, Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron, like how can you ever guess which week what's going to be what? Uh, I think Ebron this week played only like 33 percent of snaps and uh, against Kansas City uh, could score a touchdown anytime. But I think there are more viable tight ends that are more predictable. Yeah, a lot of those, you know, backup and second and third string running backs have just got to be on the cutting block every week. That doesn't mean you have to cut them, right? Like if you have the bench space to hold a Malcolm Brown and try to wait out that Todd Gurley injury for one more week, you can do that. But he's definitely cuttable. On that same note, I think I might be finally willing to give the ghost on Damian Harris. Burkhead's out. Yeah. And Damian Harris is a healthy scratch. Like, what the heck, man? Like, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, that just, that really gives me some concern with Harris going forward. Maybe they're just saving him for winter months, or maybe he's just not ready. It's hard to say. And for that reason, I think he's droppable. Um, Darrell Williams, Rex Burkhead, uh, kind of along the same lines. Like, I've actually already pulled the trigger cutting a couple of them uh, from my rosters. Uh, Burkhead, I dropped, you know, preemptively heading into week five once once he was ruled out. Uh, another guy I want to throw out here, Nelson Aguilar. I really expected him to do more against the Jets, but I guess they just didn't need him. And now that they have Alshon Jeffrey back, Zach Ertz is still there. The running game's getting going for the Eagles. I don't know if Aguilar is really worth holding on to. He seems like uh, j- just a guy, maybe like a little bit less than a Muhammad Sanu type. Like, I'm going to be dropping him while I keep Keyshawn Johnson on a roster. Like, I think that's pretty telling. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. The other two wide receivers I want to throw out here is Zach Pascal and Deion Kane. This is kind of a weird chicken and egg situation with whether or not T.Y. Hilton plays or not. If T.Y. Hilton plays, like maybe these guys, the offense is better and that helps them. But if he doesn't play, then are Pascal and Kane good enough to kind of step up in his absence? Like, I have no idea. Like, it's it's too hard to figure out. And so I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I'm probably just going to drop those guys. If we're trying to help out people who might not be in as deep formats as we play Vlad, who are some more, I guess, prominent players who you think might be surprisingly droppable in your mind? Uh, let's see how things look after today with this, um, you know, these wide receivers on San Francisco. Um, it's just tough sometimes to try to guess, you know, who's weak it's going to be. And when you have a team like that, where there's just so many, you know, different offensive pieces, uh, you know, is Goodwin going to, going to break out for a big touchdown or is he going to go, you know, two for seven, uh, Dante Pettis, for example, uh, somebody who was a, a darling before all of his issues in draft season, we saw his, uh, uh, draft stock dropped drastically. Uh, Dante Pettis is somebody that uh, could could potentially be dropped. I think Ronald Jones and Peyton Barber are going are gonna to go. It's not like I, I own them anywhere, but if I did, I'm just going to let them be someone else's problem. Like unless you can spot a matchup coming up in the next like three or four weeks where you really like what it, what it looks like for the Tampa Bay running game, and you think that maybe you'll be able to use Ronald Jones or Peyton Barber in that contest, then I, I'm I'm cutting bait and. Honestly, like if you're going that deep with it, if you're trying to look ahead to like one key matchup, even that seems foolish to me because how do you know whether it's going to be Ronald Jones or Peyton Barber? Like every week, it's a different story with this backfield. I don't even want to deal with it anymore. Uh, So I'm cutting both of them along the injury front. I think Wayne Gallman and Philip Dorsett are potentially cuttable. Dorsett is one who you might be more inclined to hold. I can I can see that. Uh, But Gallman, I think you can you can let go. And then Daniel Jones, uh, Danny Dimes, as they call him. Uh, I think at this point, he hasn't shown me enough to to be an every week starter at quarterback going forward. He's got the Patriots this week. I think I would just cut him and live the stream with some other quarterback. Uh, and, and maybe that means you go after Jones again in the future. Uh, but I don't want him this week. And so I don't want to hold extra quarterbacks on my roster. I think I'm cutting him too. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think along the same lines, even somebody like Jalen Samuel, who uh, yeah. you know James Conner had his uh, basically – 
um, you know, um, season high in snaps despite limited production. And so he's going to continue to be the grinder. I think, uh, you know, waiting on a Connor injury for Samuels to step up at this point is, uh, you know, maybe not the best idea. All right, Vlad, let's wrap it up with this. Uh, for flex consideration or for owners who simply just want to add the most valuable player in a vacuum, who would be your top three waiver targets this week, kind of regardless of position? Like, where do you think the, the biggest value is? It's in the in the receivers and, and playing to the matchups. I think some of the guys we mentioned, if Golden Tate is available, I think he's somebody you need to, to add immediately. Uh, Debo Samuel, very low owned. I think he's the most stable guy in that San Francisco offense. And Deontay Johnson, just out of the fact that uh, who's left there? It's, it's Juju, a little bit of Vance McDonald in the running game, especially with uh, James Washington hurt. So he has a good connection with Rudolph. Uh, hopefully Rudolph will be back soon. That, that, that's somebody I would consider. For much deeper leagues than that, uh, I think uh, Chase Edmonds, just taking a chance on perhaps if uh, DJ is something is wrong with him, then Edmonds makes sense. Um, you know, Gerald Everett the, and Dawson Knox, the two tight ends that we talked about. And if you really want to go for it, um, just off my gut, off the instinct, uh, Albert Wilson, he comes up and uh, starts to star in that offense. Yeah, I'm with you. For me, it would be uh, Auden Tate, A.J. Brown, Deontay Johnson. I think, is, and but again, like you can kind of mix and match these receiver names depending upon who's available, uh, who fits uh, your, your bye week schedule a little bit. But I agree that wide receiver is the position to go get. Um, one more deep dart throw I want to put out there. David Moore of the Seahawks, he was getting a lot of buzz in the preseason. And, you know, last season he played pretty well. Entered the year hurt, didn't really get going until this past week where he did catch a touchdown on Thursday Night Football. So if you're looking for somebody who's out there in pretty much every league, David Moore is that guy. He's only 1% owned in Yahoo. So I think he's a guy you can go after. I, I don't think I would go after him ahead of some of these other names we've thrown out there. But maybe you have a lower wear priority or maybe you don't have quite as much fab and you can only make like a 0 or $1 bid. I think that Moore is the type of player who you can go after uh, in those types of situations. Uh, Vlad, thank you very much for coming on the show today. It's been a bit of a marathon here, but I'm really glad that uh, I got you on finally. Uh, why don't you let the folks know where they can find your work and uh, uh, all that good stuff? Yeah, so uh, you know, I, for the, the season-long uh, content and redraft, uh, I, I write a um, musings and uh, basically like a smorgasbord of random uh, uh, thoughts and, and strategies for the season called From the Gut, and that's over on uh, fantasyguru.com. And then do some DFS work at the, our uh, flagship site, Elite Fantasy. And then you can find me on Twitter, at RotoGut. And I uh, just want to thank you very, very much for having me. It's been fun. Thanks again, Vlad. It was great having you. Listeners, that does it for this week's show. As always, I encourage you to rate and review the program on Apple Podcasts. And you can always feel free to send me feedback on Twitter, at GregSauce. Check out the show notes for links to Vlad's work, as well as a bunch of handy links to the great streaming and waiver wire articles that we have at 444.com. And if you don't have a 444 subscription yet, it's past time you get on that so you can start taking advantage of our incredible projections, articles, and tools. Whatever your flavor of choice, seasonal, DFS, Superflex, IDP, you name it, we've got you covered for everything fantasy football. So go to 444.com today and sign up with the promo code TMAP, T-M-A-P, just like the most accurate podcast, and you'll get 25% off whatever sub you go for. John and Anthony are locked and loaded for another Sneaky Starts episode later this week. Then I'll be back next week to recap week six and look ahead to week seven. Until then, thanks for listening to the most accurate podcast. I like that